Father, we pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts today and lives, make us more like Jesus. We pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit and the giving and receiving of your word, but also in just being able to just hover over each one of us in a powerful way to do your work you want to do in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there was this little girl, and uh, she was in Sunday school, and she heard a story of Jonah being swallowed by a whale. She's so excited about the story that when she went to her public school on Monday morning, she told the whole class her story. After she told the story of Jonah being swallowed by the whale, the teacher popped up real quick and said, well, that's physically impossible, though the, you know, the whale is a is a large mammal, its throat's very small, and so that story couldn't have ever happened. And then the little girl just said, but how can that be? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Well, irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale cannot swallow a human. It is physically impossible. Well, undaunted, the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? Little girl said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) The Bible is full of so many great stories that teach us so much about God. But did you know the Bible is actually one great story? In fact, we're going to start a series this morning called God's Grand Story. And I want to take the rest of 2022 and really enable us all to better fit together the whole Old Testament. So I really want you guys to hang in there and learn how this all fits together. So in 2022, the Old Testament, and then, Lord willing, 2023, the New Testament. I really want us to really be engaged. I encourage you to read uh, as we're going along, be reading whole chapters and I'm summarizing whole, whole, you know, stories that, that we can only take a few pieces of. But I want you to begin to see how it all pieces together and then how it impacts your life. Now, so we're going to start this year-long study with, uh, just let me give you a summary of the Old Testament. I want to summarize the whole Old Testament to you in just six parts or six divisions. Here they are. You have beginnings. Genesis, in the beginning, God created. You have beginnings. Then you have part two, wanderings, as Israel wandered the wilderness as Moses led them. So beginnings, then wanderings. Then you have the promised land. Now we have the promised land, of course. They move in. We get to Joshua, the new general, after Moses dies, leads into the promised land. And then you have the United Kingdom under David, King David, the United Kingdom of Israel. But then following the time of Solomon's son, following Solomon's time, his son, you have a divided kingdom. And then finally, you have the captivity where they are taken into captivity, this rebellious people, and then teaching of the coming kingdom. So those are six parts. You have beginnings, then you have wanderings, then you have promised land, then you have the united kingdom, but then there's a divided kingdom, then there's captivity, And then the coming kingdom, much to learn about the coming kingdom. 
So that really is the Old Testament, and you're going to continue to get pieces and little ways in which you can piece it all together. It'll make so much more sense to you, but also be easier for you to understand how it impacts your life. Now, I want to start today with the book of Genesis. Now, in the beginning, God, according to Genesis, God merely spoke, and the galaxies were flung into space. God spoke and created everything, everything that came into being, all substance, Life in all its forms, he created. He's the author of everything. And everything he created, Genesis is very clear, was good. When he created it, it was good, especially human beings, because we were created in his own image. And he gave us a special noble role of being able to not only have a relationship with him, but also told us to, to fill the earth and then to govern it. But we also know, as we continue on in the story of Genesis, that the first humans turned away from God. They chose to go their own independent way. They disobeyed the commandments of God. And the result was sin enters in, and so do the consequences of sin into the world. And we call that the fall. So creation, then the fall. By the way, then the rest of the Bible after that, talking about after Genesis chapter 3, is a story about how God made restoration possible how he instituted a plan where sins could be forgiven and we could, his rebellious creatures could have a relationship with him and begin to fulfill their role on the earth. And so this plan, by the way, is still being fulfilled in our lives today. So here's the story of the Bible. Ready? In just three, three pieces, you have paradise. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth, and it was paradise. Then you have paradise lost, the fall. Sin enters in, so the consequences of sin. All the mess we see in the news all the time. So we have this paradise, we have paradise lost, but then the rest of the story of the Bible is how paradise will be regained. How it will be regained. So now, I want to summarize, that's a summary really of the Bible and of course we're looking at the book of Genesis. Now the book of Genesis is actually filled with many events and many people. Stories of many people's lives. But I want you to understand now the book of Genesis in terms of four events followed by the lives of four people. That's the whole book of Genesis in summary form. Four events followed by the lives of four people. The four events are creation, the fall, the flood, Noah's flood, and then the division of the nations from the Tower of Babel. Those are the four events followed by the lives particularly of four people, Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, but the favored son, Joseph. So four events followed by four people. You got creation, then you got the fall. It's not hard to convince anyone we live in a fallen world. The reason is because the first humans questioned the goodness of God, and in their questioning his goodness, they actually rebel against him. And then we have sin entering consequences of sin, creation, the fall, then the flood. Humanity strays so far from God's purposes that he decides, God decides to start over with one faithful family, Noah's family, creation, the fall, then the flood, followed by the division of the nations. The nations stubbornly band together, all these people band together against God's revealed will, which was to, you know, reproduce throughout the whole earth. They band together. And the inhabitants at the Tower of Babel proudly seek to find their own glory and significance apart from God. 
So for their own good, God thwarts the whole plan. He separates them by languages and scatters them throughout the earth. So that's the four events. Creation, fall, flood, division of the nations. But now you have all these people groups scattered throughout the earth. So what's God going to do? Because he wants to reach them. Well, he's going to pick one man and make a nation out of that one man. And through that nation, revelation of the one true God should come to all nations. That was the plan. The one man he picks is Abraham. So Abraham is the beginning of God's rescue plan. And, and so Abraham believes God, trusts God, and he has a son. He, he and Sarah have a son named Isaac, Abraham, then Isaac. And eventually, Isaac, this whole, this whole story is, shows the picture of Abraham's faith and God's faithfulness. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac, had, one of his sons is Jacob. Now, Jacob not only encounters God several times, he wrestles with God, and he becomes the father of 12 sons. Now, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. The 12 sons lead the 12 tribes of Israel. That leads us to the fourth person, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Fourth one, Joseph, the favored son. And that's much of the story toward the end of the book of Genesis is about Joseph and how God actually, even though he put, Joseph went through this excruciatingly painful ordeal, he becomes the leader, the provider, and the protector of his family to save not only Israel, but to save that whole, the whole region from famine. So there's a simple way to see Genesis. There's four key events. There's four key people, and that is the book of Genesis. Now, what I'd like to do with our remaining time is I'm going to focus back to creation. We're going to start the beginning in the beginning. And I want to focus not just the fact that God created everything after his own kind, the Bible is very clear, but I want to focus on how he did it. Because we're going to see how God works through creation. And it's going to really impact how we understand he works today in our lives. So how does God work in creation? What lessons can we learn from this today as he works in our lives? So Genesis 1-1, let's start there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to notice verse 2. The correct translation reads this way. Now, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, those of you that have been around a while know that I, my favorite translation is NASB, New American Standard Bible. I think it is generally the most accurate English translation that we have. But here, NIV gets this verse right. Because actually in Hebrew here, you have a disjunctive, which means it should be translated now. It's not a conjunct, conjunctive translated and, or a sequential translated and then. You say, well, what, what does that matter? It matters a lot because the Hebrew construction signifies that verse 2 is not the result or the development from verse 1. That is why many scholars believe that there's a gap between verse 1 and 2, allowing for the fall of Satan between the original creation and then the chaos that we read about in verse 2. It's clear from the contents of verse 2 that something has drastically gone wrong. It says the earth was formless and void or empty. 
Now, why is that a problem? Why is that drastically wrong here? Well, here's why. The Hebrew word that is translated void or empty only occurs two other times in all of Scripture. And in both cases, it is joined with another word, waste. And in those two places, other places it is used, is clearly the result of the judgment of God. That's why it's in that condition of formless and void, because God has brought judgment. All right, just track with me here, because we're going to now look at those two places. Remember back in the fall, we were trying to help everybody learn to study the Bible on their own better, have a good Bible dictionary, good Bible concordance. If you would look up these words in your study, you'll find out there's only two other places they're used, formless and void, and here they are. And they're always combined with waste. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. Now, the prophet Jeremiah is describing a judgment of God he just witnessed. He has seen. Jeremiah 4, 23, he says, I looked on the earth and behold, it was formless and void into the heavens and they had no light. I looked on the mountains and behold, they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a wilderness and all its cities were pulled down before the Lord, before his fierce anger. See, he is, he is witnessing out of, because of God's anger, his judgment, and what it did to, that, to what he's beholding, that part of the earth. So it was formless and void. Why? Because of God's judgment. That's clear from that passage. All right, let's look at another one. This is the other place it is used. Isaiah 4, 34, verse 2. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Now stop there. Now as you read this passage in Isaiah 34, this is a prophecy about Armageddon. So now Isaiah is looking forward prophetically to Armageddon. Let me read that again now, verse 2. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations. His wrath against all their armies. He's utterly destroyed them. He's given them over to slaughter. This is Armageddon. Let's keep reading though. Verse 8. Isaiah 34, 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And its streams shall be turned to pitch, and its loose earth into brimstone, and its land shall become a burning pitch. Now notice verse 11. But pelican and hedgehog shall possess it, and owl and raven shall dwell in it, and it shall stretch, and he shall stretch over it, here's those words, the line of desolation, waste, and the plumb line of emptiness, void. Every time those two words are used, it's describing something, the, the situation after the judgment of God has come. Clearly, that's the judgment of God in both these places. Now, in other words, the earth has become formless and void because of God's judgment. That's how Genesis 1-2 reads. Waste and void cannot describe a stage in God's work of creation. It's not a stage. Something has gone terribly wrong in verse 2. Now, not only does the syntax argue against a sequence for verse 2, but Isaiah 45, 18, now listen to this, clearly states that God did not make the world that way. Listen to this, Isaiah 45, 18. 
For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not make it a waste place. That's not how he made it. But formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So the rest of the narrative of Genesis 1 shows now how God is going to bring this world from its condition of verse 2, formless and void to darkness covering the earth. I mean, how negative does that sound? How God's going to take that and he's going to take it into steps from desolation and waste to order and fullness. By the way, not only was the earth waste and void, but according to the second circumstantial clause in verse 2, darkness was upon the face of the earth. Darkness. Darkness throughout the Bible clearly represents evil and death. It's not conducive to life. Some uses of the motif of darkness include the judgment or the plague of the darkness of Egypt. Remember one of the plagues? Death. The day of the Lord. Remember the day of the Lord is going to be dead. Darkness because judgment's coming. So Genesis 1-2 has an ominous negative tone. The clauses describe not the results of divine creative work, but of a chaos in the earliest stage of this world. And I agree with many scholars throughout church history that the fall of Satan that's talked about in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14 is what brought about the chaos in God's original creation. Let me, let me back up and show, and show this to you. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Job, book of Job. Book of Job chapter 38, verse 4. God is speaking to Job and he says this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? That's Genesis 1.1. Where were you? Now, Job 38, verse 7. When... The morning stars, these are angels. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In the book of Job, morning stars and sons of God is a reference to angels. So where were you at creation when, and there's an important little word in here, verse 7, all, all, all these angels sang. All of them shouted for joy at creation. What does that mean? That means in Genesis 1-1, there not yet been a heavenly revolt. There's not been an attempted coup by Lucifer yet in Genesis 1-1. In Genesis 1-1, all the angels are still good angels. All the angels sang at creation. In fact, it's very likely that Lucifer, who is called the chief cherub, probably led the worship. So all that's going on. In Genesis 1-1, all the angels sang at creation. But something happened after that. And we know what happened after Genesis 1-1 because Isaiah and Ezekiel both get prophetic revelation and tell us what happened. What happens is, is there is an attempted coup. Lucifer, tired of being the worshiper, decides he wants to be the worshipped. So he attempts to throw God off his throne. In fact, according to Revelation 12, the dragon's tail, who's the devil, sweeps a third of the stars out of heaven. So a third of the angels join him in this attempted coup. And God cast them all out of heaven. By the way, God didn't even break a sweat. This was not some big, tough battle. God cast them out of heaven. But where did he cast them? We're told. Look, let's look at this. Isaiah 
14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. That's Lucifer. Son of the dawn. You have been cut down. Where? To the earth. So the one who led the rebellion, the disorder, attempting, Lucifer attempting to find fullness, actually ended up with emptiness. And he's cast down to the earth. And with him came disorder, emptiness, and darkness to the earth. So now, what will happen next? What happens in Genesis 1 after verse 1 is, after verse 2 is God actually starts an act of redemption. God is now going to salvage his world and create all things new. By the way, this picture is similar to how God is going to, what he's going to do at the end of this age we're living in. When he judges the world, and and there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, and then he's going to make a new heavens and new earth. So right here, we're seeing a recreation after Genesis 1, 2. And by the way, it's also interesting that the Spirit of God is hovering over this. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Why? Because God is about to fix the mess. God's about to do an act of redemption. God is about to do a recreation. God is about to do a new beginning. So the life-giving Spirit is hovering over this to ensure its future development. That's what's happening here. By the way, some of you today, just between you and God, have made a mess of some part of your life, and it's out of order, and you feel the emptiness of it, you feel the darkness of it, you feel some despair, and I believe the Spirit of God is hovering over you today. He's hovering over you, and he wants to do a work of redemption, recreation, a new beginning. I believe there's going to be several people today here who are going to get a new beginning. I'll talk about that in a moment. Back to verse 2. So the life-giving Spirit of God is hovering over the mess that had become the earth. And he's going to do a work of recreation, a work of redemption. And that's going to take how long? Six days. These are the six days of creation. By the way, the first three days, we'll see in a moment, God's going to remedy the formlessness and the disorder and bring order. Then the next three days, God is going to remedy the void and the emptiness and bring fullness. That's how God is. First of all, let's see the disorder. Genesis 1-3. Disorder to order. That's what God's going to do. Disorder to order. Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Order is not happening. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning one day. So the first stage of moving from disorder to order is God creates light and divides it from the darkness. That which God calls into existence, this light immediately is now enveloping this darkness, this light. By the way, throughout Scripture, light is the realm of God. It's the realm of righteousness. Darkness is the domain of evil, of the evil one, of death. God then divides the light and the darkness And the light and the darkness are separated, and God names them day and night. And that's the first stage going from disorder to order. Let's keep going. What does God do next? Genesis 1-6. 
Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let us separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. The next stage of moving from disorder to order is God creates division of these waters. On the second day, God created an expanse in the atmosphere to separate the waters above from the waters below. Third day, here we go. Remember, God's going from disorder to order. Third day, Genesis 1-9. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So now God has gone from disorder to order. Now we're going to see that he's going to shift. He's going to move from going from disorder to order to going from emptiness to fullness. This is important that we see this, how God does things. All right, on this emerging dry land, it was empty. So God's going to cause now fullness. All this vegetation is going to sprout up. Genesis 1.11. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. So now God is moving from a state of emptiness to a state of fullness. So all the land's got vegetation sprouting up. All right. But the heavens are still empty. So what's God going to do? He's going to fill them. He's going to create on the fourth day, the sun, the moon, the stars, Genesis 1:14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. So God's now moved the heavens from a place of emptiness to a place of fullness. Next, we have the seas and the dry lands. So the seas are empty. The sky is empty. All right, let's see what God does with the seas and the sky. The fifth day, verse 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God now takes the empty skies and the empty seas and he fills them. That which was empty is now full. Okay, what about the land? He has vegetation sprout up, but he's not done filling the land. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So again, after bringing, you know, bringing order and fullness to all creation, in those six days, God then creates humans. Human life to enjoy the rule that is now ordered and now has a, in full and a habitable, habitable world. So that is how God goes from bringing something into a new beginning. This is important that we see how God works. <clears throat> this is how God brings new beginnings. When God encounters a world that is formless and void, empty, and covered with darkness, how does he go about redeeming it? When he encounters disorder and emptiness and is covered over in darkness and despair, 
How does he go about bringing a new beginning? How does God do new beginnings? We see how he does it. We just saw how he does it. He brings it from disorder to order first, and then he brings it from emptiness to fullness. This is the way God works. Now, how about us? What about those who need a new beginning in their life? How does God bring it about? When someone's life or some part of someone's life is in a state of disorder and empty, covered over in darkness and despair, how is God going to work in that person's life and bring about a new beginning? How does God do that? See, it's important for us to see that when God, God always, this is the way God works, he will first establish order and form before he begins to fill even a life, an empty life. This is the way God works. See, I think so many people, there's so many people that they, they feel the emptiness, they feel the disorder, they feel the despair, they feel the darkness, and they just want God to fill it. God, would you just fill it? That's not how God works. God will first bring a person from disorder to order before he brings them from emptiness to fullness. That is, how, that is the ways of God. Let me give you some examples of this. Think about someone who is an alcoholic or a drug addict. And they're, they're experiencing the emptiness, the disorder. They experience the despair, the darkness. And they find themselves in their bedroom saying, Lord, I just want you to fix this. Fix me. Fill me. I'm empty. How will God work? Typically, God, the way he works is he's going to move that person first from a place of disorder to order before he can move that person from a place of emptiness to fullness. Which is, by the way, why Celebrate Recovery, and AA even, why they work so well, because they're helping people move from a place of disorder to order before they can move to a place of fullness where there's emptiness. So what are they doing? They're helping them you know, really begin to change into new habits and new patterns and new relationships. What are they doing? They're bringing order where there's disorder. And as they do that, then that person is able to start receiving fullness where there's emptiness. Let me give you another example. How about somebody who is financially in a mess? Let's say they're in the debt up to their eyeballs, and, and they're in their bedroom praying, Lord, take away the debt. Take away the emptiness. Give me fullness. Well, that's typically not how God works, right? God is first going to take that person from a place of disorder to order before moving them from emptiness to fullness. That's why Financial Peace University is so effective. What does Financial Peace University do? One of our courses around here, it helps somebody who's in a state of disorder in their finances bring it to a place of order. Why? So God can take that emptiness and fill it, bring some fullness. All right, how about someone's health? A lot of time, a lot of times someone's health is kind of is running on empty because they, have, they really have such disorder in the way they take care of themselves. Such disorder in their whole lifestyle, so unhealthy. And so they can, they can be totally unhealthy and say, Lord, would you give me health? But that's typically not what God's going to do. God's going to move them from a place of disorder, how they take care of themselves to order, and then he's going to take the emptiness and bring fullness. This is the way God works. How about a marriage? I've done a lot of weddings. I've never seen a couple stand there, make vows, hoping for emptiness in their relationship. They want fullness. They want fullness in their relationship. Well, there's a certain order they must have and have to have that fullness. When I do marriage counseling with people, couples that have been married decades sometimes, 
And uh, they got all kinds of pain. They got all kinds of emptiness. They come in all kinds of despair, darkness in this relationship. What do I do? You know, I, I can't just lay hands and say, be filled with fullness in your marriage. That doesn't work. What works is God's way. So what I do, okay, we've got to start putting some order where there's disorder in how you treat each other. We've got, we got to put an order in this relationship. And if you begin to follow God's order, then you can begin to experience fullness in your marriage. This is how God works. You know, I was thinking about the story of the prodigal son this week. The prodigal son is in the pig pen at the end of the story. Not the end, but at the end, you know, when he hits bottom in the story, he's in a pig pen, right? Longing to be filled with, you know, the pods the pigs are eating, right? I mean, it's the picture of emptiness, right? It's a picture of disorder. Now, if the prodigal son would have said, Father, just fill me. Fill me here in the pig pen. It wouldn't work that way. What he's got to do is he's got, God's going to change the disorder to order first. So what does he do? He's got to get out of the pig pen and go back to his father's house and make things right with his father and start putting things in order. And then he can experience the fullness that God wants to give. That's how God works. Now, there's some of you here today and some of you online that you can think of an area of your life that you need a new beginning. There's an area of your life that you, you have some disorder, you have some emptiness, you have some despair, some darkness, and you, you want a new beginning. You need a new beginning. Well, how's God going to give it? God's going to give it by giving you the grace, first of all, to go from disorder to, disorder to order. By the way, that's the essence of repentance. Repentance is I'm going this way and I turn and I start going this way. It's a change of the course of my life. I've got disorder. I've got to make some changes. I've got to cooperate with God, make some changes for this area of my life if I'm going to get a new beginning. If I'm going to get a new beginning, I'm not just going to pray and God's going to give it to me. I'm going to pray and God's going to give me, you know, I'm going to have to make some decisions in line with repentance and make some decisions to go from disorder to order. And then God will bring me to a place, from a place of emptiness to fullness. That's how God works. Let's all stand for a moment. We're going to close in prayer here in just a moment. And as we do, I want to pray a prayer just this for our time. But I believe there are some of you today that this is your day for a new beginning. And there's just, some of you, it's just part of your life. Some of you, it's you know, a big part of your life. But there's a part of your life you know you, know you need a new beginning. And there's a part of your life you know that you, you need to move from disorder to order. You know there's a part of your life you're experiencing some emptiness and despair and darkness, and you want God to change it. Well, in order to really get this to happen, really happen, we have to cooperate with God in doing something called repentance. That is, we're willing, we're willing to go from disorder to order. We're willing to make some changes. We're willing to make some tough choices. And so if that's you, you say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to, that whatever area that is, no one's going to ask you what it is between you and God. I'm ready to go from disorder to order in that area of my life. I'm ready to make a turnaround. I'm asking for prayer today for God to give me the grace to start to make the right choices. But I'm willing. I'm ready and willing to cooperate with him. So if that's you in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip out and come up and pray. My first service is a whole bunch of people getting prayed for up here. I know there's several in this room. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Don't pass these times by. These times matter. The Spirit of God is hovering. He's hovering right now. He wants to do this. But we need to cooperate. Don't let your pride keep you from cooperating. So, Father, you know where all of us are. We're so glad we don't have to tell you our story. You know our story. But, Lord, we're asking for new beginnings today. We're asking, O oh Lord, 
We need to come in and just pour out grace upon those, Lord, who are saying yes, just yes to repentance, yes to I want this, this disorder to go to order. I want this emptiness to go to fullness. And I just need, I need your help, Lord. If that's you today, because I want to slip out and come on up quickly. We're going to pray for you. So go ahead and slip out. Come up here quickly, guys. I know there's several in this room. Come on. Come on, come quickly. Spirit of God is hovering right now. He's hovering right now. He wants to do this. He wants to do this. Let me invite many of you from the rest of the body of Christ. Come up here and lay hands on these. Put a hand on someone's shoulder. We need about 50 or 60 of you. Come on, guys. Don't let anybody just be standing up here by themselves. We're all in this together. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray out loud as you're praying for them. Just begin to pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God of new beginnings. We thank you that you're a redeeming God. We thank you, Lord, that you love to take that which is in disorder and move it to order. Lord, we're cooperating today with that. We're saying we want that. We want that. Even as we're praying, even those came here, Lord, would you just give the grace now to make those hard choices? They're saying yes in their spirit, Lord. Would you give them the grace to say yes on Monday and yes on Tuesday, yes on Wednesday and Thursday, and all through the week, Lord? And Lord, we ask you, a spirit of the living God, as you're hovering, Lord, as you hover over the earth and just to, to ensure its development, to ensure its progress, would you hover right now and ensure Lord, the, 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 this, this redemption going on in these lives right now. Ensure it, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, let it come. Let it come. We receive it. Receive it, Lord. Receive that grace to make the next right decision. Receive it, Lord. Let it come, Lord. We pray, Lord, that the light, your light would dispel the darkness. Fill the void in every life, Lord, that's looking to you right now. We thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just receive it. Receive it. Believe it. Believe it right now. Believe the grace on you for this to walk in which you direction you know you need to go. Receive it. Walk in it. Choose it. Lord, pray you cancel every demonic assignment against all these up here. Get in prayer in Jesus' name. Cause them all to fail. Every demonic assignment to fail. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're a God of new beginnings. We pray for all of us in this room, Lord, and even this week, and all of us online, that we would just begin to remember this pattern and walk in it, going from disorder to order so we can go from emptiness to fullness. Show us, Lord, all the places that we need to adjust in our lives to line up with your order that we might receive your fullness. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you want to fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit today. Lord, so even now we align ourselves with your order, with repentance and, and love for Jesus and desire to see the kingdom come. Lord, fill us with your spirit in greater and greater way. And we pray, Lord, even as we're dismissed, that you would cause the light of Christ to shine through us and to shatter the darkness everywhere any of us go this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.